My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. We also wanted um, a good net return, uh, good annual increases. Um, I guess from an accounting point of view, I like, I've got a three or a three and a half percent annual increase coming in rather than try and figure out what, um, you know, the CPI might be. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with commercial property buyers agent Brian McNichol to talk about his strategy and what he looks for in commercial investments to increase the chances of success, the $1.1 million shopping center he bought that provided him with $92,000 in rental income and much, much more. Manikal at one point owned 14 residential properties. Through the process of turning two properties into four or one property into two by building or moving the house to one side, Manikal was able to acquire this number of residential properties over 10 to 12 years. Part of the strategy was that we'd purchase properties that we, particularly that we could split. So uh, we'd buy a 810 square, square meter property. Um, we may move the house to one side, uh, we'd build or maybe sell the, the vacant block of land. Uh, normally, we'd keep at least one one of those properties each time. Um, we also, as I said, uh, ventured into New Zealand and the New Zealand market, we've been there now for oh, about 17 years. So, again, we did the same thing of... Uh, purchasing properties over there, uh, two into four, uh, one into two, things like that. So there was a combination of um, a strategy that we we had. We didn't actually go out and uh, purchase, you know, 14 individual properties. Otherwise, the bank would have put a stop to it uh, very much sooner. And going to New Zealand also gave us that uh, extra bit of leverage when we when we went over there we could actually borrow through the New Zealand banks without making any reference back to uh, our properties in Australia. Manickle still maintains some of his residential properties and tells us he has bought an additional three commercial properties in his portfolio. When we had three commercial properties, my wife said, you know, we don't need any more. You know, in terms of our lifestyle and the income that we were receiving from those properties, she was correct. So 
again, we, we had a strategy in place that we purchased the property, we'd pay down the debt, and now we we own the three three properties unencumbered. Um, but that was the impetus then to start the commercial property buyers agency. I still liked purchasing commercial property. I like finding, I like negotiating. And so, um, you know, the only way I could do that and keep uh, peace at home was by setting up the, the buyer's agency to, to look for property for other people. He shares with us why commercial properties can be better investments than residential properties. We've always had our properties, whether it be residential or commercial, managed by professional property managers. But regardless of who the property managers are, there's always questions, and particularly with the the residential, um, if it's a six or a twelve month lease, they're always going to be coming back and saying, you know, do you want to renew for another six months or twelve months? There's always questions about replacing light bulbs because the tenant can't reach the light bulb or whatever. Virtually all those disappear with commercial property. You've got nice long leases, uh, three, five, possibly longer. Normally the tenant's responsible for the maintenance, repairs and maintenance within the tenancy. Again, it depends on what's actually written in the lease document. It's normally a, a very much, you can almost set and forget, but I, I don't like that terminology because regardless of which property you've got, you can't forget it. You've got to be mindful of um, of dates that may come along and just check on that uh, an annual increase has gone through. I've come across a number of properties um, when I've been searching properties for, for clients where, um, particularly ones where they're self-managed, um, people have missed passing on an annual increase. I'll always go back from the beginning of the lease or as far back as I can and work my way through to make sure that all the, the rent increases have been passed on. And um, they get a bit surprised when I turn around and say, well, there was a rent increase two years ago that didn't get passed on. But um, it, it's really a matter of, um, I guess, the ease of, uh, of commercial property uh, compared with, you know, having, I guess, almost a, a constant, particularly if you've got quite a number of properties, uh, a constant stream of uh, requests from tenants. So to me, commercial property is, is really the way to go. And as my wife wants to say, you know, we're trying to simplify our lives and uh, commercial property certainly helps, helps to do that. Manikal then goes on to tell us in some more detail what he was looking for in the commercial properties he wanted to purchase. We wanted good long-term tenants. So we looked at the types of tenants that would provide that and that's where the doctors and solicitors, accountants and uh, state governments or government agencies, you know, appeared. We also wanted um, a good net return. We wanted uh, good annual increases. I guess from an accounting point of view, I like knowing that I've got a three or a three and a half percent annual increase coming in rather than try and figure out what you know the CPI might be. I also don't like four or five percent annual increases because at some stage there will be a review back to market. And the last thing that you want to do is to suddenly have your rental income drop back to what the, the market rate may be. 
So those are the main ones. We also were keen on trying to get a a lease document that was a win-win as far as we were concerned and our tenant was concerned because without the tenant being happy and remaining in the building, you know, we'd we then completely lose, lose our rental income. So you've got to have that right mix. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into the biggest reasons why McNichol got into property investment in the first place. So prior to that, you know, when I was working for the government and setting up my own uh, business, I was probably working at least 100 hours a week. The mentors and resources he worked with along his journey. Then there were other people over that period of time, uh, Michael Yardney, there was um, or Giff Mabohold, a lot of different people. What he's most excited about in the next five years as his property journey progresses. And also, I'm looking at writing a couple of books, uh, one of which is on commercial property and another one on uh, retirement planning. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. He then goes on to give an example of a commercial property that he bought, a small shopping centre, its cost, the net return it provided and its interest rate. I think there were six shops in it and we managed to get it for about 1.1 million. That produced the, I think it might have been 8.4%. So that had good leases. It had, because it had the different tenancies, there was, I guess, some security that you weren't relying on one tenant who may then, you know, leave. These tenants have been there for, again, for a good length of time. The tenancy mix had remained pretty much unchanged from the time that the uh, building was built back in the, the late 1990s. And um, it was really nothing flash, but it provided a net of about $92,000 a year. How much deposit would you need to have put down on that? In this particular case, it was around about uh, 40%. So probably all up, including various fees and that, it would have been probably close to 550000 What kind of interest rate do you have on this property? The interest rate from the bank, I think at that stage, was um, just a little bit over 4%. So we could say it would be with the interest in other costs associated with this property, it would be a total of, say, what, 4.5%? was one that they'd purchased in the self-managed super fund. They were getting to the uh, to the stage where probably within about five, seven years, they'd be in a situation of, uh, of being able to draw a pension from the super. So the, the idea was they would actually be paying down that particular loan and basically setting themselves up quite nicely for retirement. So when it's completely paid off with a little capital growth, it could provide more than $90,000 a year. It would have um, probably around the 100,000 by the time there was the, the annual increases of uh, 3 3.5%. So if you're looking at, say, that over a five-year period or seven-year period, you know, 100-odd thousand and coming out of a super fund, either 15% or, or it'd be tax-free to them, uh, depending on their age. So if they were to work in a job, you know, they'd have to be looking at a, an income of 
180000 or $200,000 a year to achieve this, the same type of, um, of income. A 40% deposit was provided just in regards to this particular client and that on some occasions with commercial property, a 20% deposit is enough for the banks. There have been situations with some banks where I think with commercial you have been able to just put down a 20% deposit. Probably more common is the 30%, but I think uh, somewhere between um, 30 and 40% is fairly common in terms of the, the deposit required. For Minnickel, the biggest reason why he got into commercial property was to provide for his retirement and not have to work 100 hours a week. Now that we've established you know, quite a reasonable lifestyle, I now want to try and do the same thing for my clients and help them achieve the type of lifestyle that, you know, that they desire. So prior to that, you know, when I was working for the government and setting up my own uh, business, I was probably working at least 100 hours a week, crazy type hours. Uh, one time I came back to one of the train stations and couldn't remember where I parked the car or thought I couldn't remember where I parked the car only to find the car had been pinched. <laughs> but I was, you know, so um, I guess so tired, I, it just didn't dawn on me straight away. That's what had happened. From meeting different people in the property business to reading books, Manikal mentors various resources and mentors on his journey, as well as a few books in particular he found especially helpful. I've been fortunate. Um, again, Early in the piece, there wasn't a lot. I did join a group called SMI or Success Motivation Institute, which provided some motivation for me, but that was mainly comprised of uh, salespeople. And as an accountant, I felt a little bit out of place <laughs> going along, but, um, you know, that, that was, that provided some motiv- motivations. Then there were other people over that period of time, uh, Michael Yardney, there was um, or Diffman Boholt, um, a lot of different people surfaced and so that, that was good. But I also found that um, reading provided a lot of the, the inspiration, the ideas for me. Um, I like reading and um, attending property seminars is good. But um, I did find uh, reading books and being able to highlight and uh, go back and, you know, work through a strategy was, uh, was important for me. Probably not one book. I, I particularly like some of the old classics, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by J.L. Carnegie. But there's been other authors, uh, Stephen Covey, Jim Rowan, Back in probably the late 80s, 90s, uh, there was Hans Jacoby from uh, an Australian author, Paul Clithrow, Steve McKnight, and I guess the, the other classic would be Robert Kiyosaki. When asked about what he would say to himself 10 or 20 years ago, if he could, McNichol's answer is brief and succinct. Buy commercial. <laughs> In the next five years, McNichol is most excited about his commercial buyers agency in helping clients achieve their financial dreams and also writing books on commercial investment. I've acquired a lot of knowledge over the years and now I see that as a time for giving back. 
So I'm doing that in a couple of ways. Firstly is through the commercial buyer's agency side of things. So I want to help my clients basically achieve the lifestyle that they they wish for themselves, particularly through the commercial property. And also I'm looking at writing a a couple of books, uh, one of which is on commercial property and another one on uh, retirement planning. So that, again, is just a way of uh, giving back to the the community some of the knowledge that I've gained and um, hopefully people find it useful. So you've achieved a lot. How much of your success is due to your skill and intelligence and hard work? And how much of it is because of luck? I don't believe in luck. (laughs) So skills, intelligence, being able to use other people's skills and knowledge to supplement anything that uh, you lack is important. And if you're using other people's skills uh, like a buyer's agent, it's always important to make sure that they've got the, the skills and intelligence that you're lacking and also that they're all, um, also licensed in, uh, if they're purchasing property in a particular state, they're licensed in that particular state. Um, unfortunately, there's cowboys around that um, may be licensed in one area but uh, go and purchase in other areas. So it's important to, to stick within the, the law. If you'd like to get in touch with Brian McNichol, you can contact him through this method. Probably the best way is um, our email address, which is cpbuyersagency at gmail.com. Thank you to Brian McNichol, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com.au. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.